Well, hello, my magnificent bastards. This is the Inciting Moment Podcast, coming at you with a very, very special episode. Mystery person that we have coerced in coming on to our entertainment media podcast. Who are you? My name is Cake. I am a YouTube animator. Obviously, being an animator on YouTube is not a very lucrative venture, but I do it anyway. And that is admirable. Inspiring, even. Really. For those of you who may or may not be tuning in for the first time, which, if you haven't been, man, you'd be missing out. Uh, my name's Ian. Who else here is with me on this wonderful cast? Hi, I'm James. Hi, I'm Sam, and I'm very excited to see proof that SFM is used for more than just porn. <laughs> oh no, starting strong, huh? And I'm Scott, and I'm afraid of this conversation turn. <laughs> hey, we hit the hard points on this podcast. A little too hard. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, hot damn, that's that's one way to start things off. Uh, well, mm -hmm. to mosey on along with our little schedule for today, Cake, what kind of content do you often make on your YouTube platform? Let's start there. I specifically make fight animations most of the time. Mm -hmm. Pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, because I was inspired by the work of Monty Um, who used to work for Rooster Teeth and is the creator of Ruby. May he uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He passed away in... Early 2015, I think, I and think so. uh, pretty much as soon as that happened, and uh, Ruby subsequently became, it got sort of a, a theme shift after he passed. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just look somewhere else mm -hmm. to get my action fix. Turns out, Monty was a very unique uh, human being and made a very unique style of art, and so I was, I was left with. No other choice but, but to just study it and to replicate it for myself. Right. And if we can uh, if we could start somewhere, uh, you do it quite marvelously, if I can oh, just say that. Um, and at the same time, I mean, it's not like it's just one for one that. You take what came before and you kind of uh, enhance it. You bring mm -hmm. your own sort of flavor to it. And I think uh, that's... Honestly, the best kind of art sometimes, because uh, oftentimes, especially in like filmmaking, you have all these different techniques and certain ways of expressing uh, different forms of art that uh, it's constantly changing. And people mm -hmm. sort of just move on and go on to other stuff because they're not about just sticking to the same thing over time. Yeah. Uh, what's great is that you just improve on it and you kind of harken back to a style that you don't see that often anymore mm -hmm. honestly i'm kind of i'm glad that you brought that up specifically the idea of harkening back to something and moving on with it uh because i've been trying to do less of that lately <laughs> yeah. what i've actually started in the last year is a hey cheeky plug i didn't mention this at all actually i just remembered i was gonna do this mm -hmm. uh me and Five or six other animators have started a project called Project Rose, which is mm -hmm. our dedicated movement to study and perfectly replicate Monty Ohm's animations with mm -hmm. the end goal 
of documentation in the form of free literature that can be given to anybody, and they can learn how to animate like Monty Ohm instantly. That's exciting stuff. And I know you kind of do little tutorials as well on your channel to kind of teach people the way. Yeah, and I've been doing contests, which is my, my first push into teaching people how to animate like that. Oh, no, yeah. that's a good idea because it gives them motivation and it gives them a contest, adds this layer of competitiveness to it, which encourages an initiative for it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a very good idea and a very noble cause. Yeah, that it means a lot to me and I, I that's all I want to do is I want more of it in the world. It sucks well, being one of six people in the on the planet who are doing this. Well, it's good to uh, spread art around. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I if I can be candid for a moment, when Ian said that we had you on as a guest, I I hadn't originally heard of your channel, so I just looked it up and you know started flipping through, and then it was morning. <laughs> I, like. I, I was telling you earlier, I, I watched, I don't even remember what the first one is, it might have been Captain Fordo, but like, I, I might have binged your entire channel on a single night. It, there is some oh really exciting stuff on there. I cannot recommend every, anyone check them out. Or... Mm-hmm. I, 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 had, I had a conversation with James where he told me that. I'm like, oh shit, James. Yeah, <laughs> wow. definitely mention that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised that you'd never heard of me. I'm not that big of a YouTuber, but I am very surprised that you did that. I appreciate it. Well, I I can tell you this. Just from what I've seen, from what I have experienced, the general style, the kind of stuff you're doing, I'm going to do what I can to try to help that because more people need to see your stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, give yourself, a, give yourself a little bit more credit. Honestly, I mean, a couple thousand subscribers really ain't nothing to scoff at. It really ain't. I mean, it's more I mean, than a couple thousand. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, like yeah. just just having a, like a thousand subscribers. That's a thousand individual people. Yeah, for that's the most true. Part. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now you're sitting at roughly uh, twenty four thousand. That's that's pretty good. It's around the size of a small town. Yeah. Well, let's make it a city, shall we? Yeah, I could probably drive through a town here in Texas with a smaller population. Mm-hmm. And that, that's hey, that's something to be proud of, honestly. Because that means you have the equivalent of a small town listening to you, following you, and being entertained by you. And, you know, as someone who's sitting at a, a YouTube channel with roughly, I think, 170 subscribers, I mean, like, <laughs> hey! <laughs> Me, when I streamed, I had 21 people, so... Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not so bad. I had 35 at my last one. Mm. Hey, the good news is, like, all those are probably better than how many people like the Alamo. <laughs> from what I hear about the reviews <laughs> for the movie. Wait, are, are the reviews not good? Well, it it was a bomb in the well, office. Hold, well, hold on. We have to wait until 12.45 to talk about the Yeah, yeah you're yes, right. You're that's, right. That's Sorry, that was... Let's, uh, not, the... let's not veer off the... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I saw the chance and I had to take it. A little sneak sneak preview for our upcoming segments. Yes, Uh, yes. The 2004 Alamo. We will, of course, eventually get to that. But um, I do have to ask Cake, uh, when talking about your 
you know, choice of, like, uh, animation style and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Aside from Ruby, uh, what are the other influences that sort of colored your uh, choice and details and just overall flow of animation? Two, two big things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first spark for action was with the 2003 Clone Wars series. Oh, that's a good one. Gee. That's a good place to start. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it it has a very strong visual style, but not just that. It was mostly the timing, like the scale of things, and then the sound design. Oh, yes. Because mm-hmm. there's there's nothing that I love more than somebody who has the gumption to have everything be going on and there being tons of sounds and action going on and then cut to nothing. Okay. That, that quick dynamic shift, I live for it every time I see it in anything. Uh, and it happens everywhere in, in the, the 2003 series, especially like the Mace Windu versus the entire army of super battle droids (laughs) is, it's a masterclass in action. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite segments, too, where he just jumps and, like, machine gun punches through a super battle exactly. droid. Exactly. But the thing jumping is... Jumping all around. Is that I watched that scene as a kid, and I felt like everything he was doing was possible. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just, like... It wasn't, like, teleportation. He was just moving really fast. And there was something about the sound design and the animation that made everything feel weighty. The way that I talk about it, even for my animations... And what I try to teach is that when you do these crazy animations, you don't want things to work the way they would. You want things to work the way you think they would. Like, you know, mm. in a dream. If you fall off of a building in a dream, if you, you know, if you want to, you could survive. Right. But you couldn't actually in real life. But you could figure out some way to do it in a dream. Mm-hmm. But okay. y- since your fa- since your frame of reference for reality is reality, then your dream is based on reality, and therefore it it it's all influenced by real factors. But it just doesn't work the way reality does. So it's like a that, reality plus almost. Yes, we got ourselves Morpheus Part Two Electric Boogaloo in, yeah. <laughs> in the server today. <laughs> yeah, God yeah. damn, that's actually very insightful. Which hey. We kind of live for insightful because it's in the name of our. You're podcast. not the only one that can do cheeky plugs. Listen to our podcast, the Insightful Where? Moment Podcast. <laughs> you know, you're listening to it right now. Yes. Right. right. So, great place to advertise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, but no, I, I kind of get what you're saying because yes, there may be incredible things that are are happening, but in the framework of this dream, it works. It feels real. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, on the topic of uh, sound design especially, it also helps to have easily one of the best uh, post-sound design, uh, you know, studios in the whole industry, Skywalker Sound, handling all that. Because, Mm -hmm. oh, God, there have been times where I have watched uh, these just completely niche films that no one has heard of purely because it had Skywalker Sound attached to it. (laughs) honestly and of course i try to find um a platform 
of some kind that uh, is compatible with like 5.1 surround sound because you have to listen to it mm-hmm. in that. And it's just, oh, the texture in a lot of their work and just the mixing for the most part. There are a few times where it's just like, oh, that's a little odd. But, mm. oh, it's impactful. And when you have it with animation... But um, aside from 2003 Clone Wars, was there any other big ones that sort of, uh, you know, yes. influenced uh, your style? So there was that for general animated filmmaking. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the second aspect actually came from a video game, oh, which okay. was the thing that, that it was the bug that bit me and made me passionate about 3D animation, oh, okay. which was a game called Medal of Honor Frontline. Oh, okay. So How so? That game, even even by the time that that game came out, there were already action games, first-person shooter games, that were using motion capture for all of their animations. Because, you know, it existed. It was easier to get than it, it had been. And doing 10,000 animations for a video game is a lot easier when you have mocap. Mm-hmm. Mm. Of course. But the developers at EA, when they did Medal of Honor Frontline, decided as a stylistic choice to do all of the animations hand-keyed. Mm. And there was... It, it's just incredible. And there's, there's behind-the-scenes for that game that's on the disc for the PS2. Oh. And it has a, a few little things that they recorded and put together. And one of the things was uh, an extra called From the Animator's Desk. And it's just like a 10-minute long compilation of all of the little, like, almost Easter egg level obscure animations from the game. An old woman sweeping, uh, the alert animations for the German soldiers when you finally come around and they they stop doing what they were doing because they actually have uh, idle animations that are just sitting around, smoking a cigarette, talking to somebody, and it's just like, wow, you guys actually went, not only did everything hand-keyed, but because of that, there was so much heart and emotion into the most basic thing that you put into the game. And then, of mm-hmm. course, it swaps halfway through the compilation to the the action stuff. And it's people falling off of ladders and firing guns and rolling around. And I was just like, I want to do that. I want to make that. I want to be able to do that. It's <laughs> amazing. And I, I didn't even know what 3D animation software looked like. And I wanted to do it. Oh, and I mean, that's some pretty powerful inspiration, being able to see all that attention to detail, which oftentimes, like, especially recent AAA titles, it just seems like most NPCs, uh, especially in, like, really big open world games, they just have these, like, copy and paste uh, stock animations, and it just makes the world less lively, and you have little gems like this that, Mm. you know put so much attention towards the little fine things because hey it's the little minute things that is what makes you know human beings complex and yeah. at, at times interesting and so having that in a little game like Medal of Honor Frontlines I mean it's little stuff like that that just makes it all the more memorable really yeah and it's you want that stuff there in case you walk around the corner the wrong way 
and you end up seeing an animation you'd never seen before. Yeah, oh, I, I guess this yeah. leads into uh, something I was going to ask you at some point. Uh, do you feel like this is something that, especially now that you know you're a little more into it, you've uh, you know got your hands dirty in the animation field? This is something you're always looking for in everything you consume, like movies, games, and stuff. And you think you judge stuff more so for that than you would have previously? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That that applies to everything that I've done. Uh, now that I've, you know, I taught myself how to model and rig and animate, edit, sound design, act, you mm-hmm. know, cinematography, everything. And so now I just consume media totally differently than the normal than a normal person. And actually, I have to swap my mindset if I want to enjoy a film for its emotional qualities. Uh. <laughs> because I can't see it anymore. I go, nice edge light. Literally everyone does that at night. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, man, that must have been a nice lighting setup. I wonder if that was the real actor, if that was the stuntman. Uh, I wonder how much mm. of this scene is CG. I bet you that landscape behind them is a matte painting. Stuff right. like that. And you know what? I... I've been like that with uh, color grading, really. Mm-hmm. I- I've had, uh, especially when I was really getting into it, uh, there were times where I had to later on rewatch certain scenes because I was too either enthused or distracted by the color grading that I completely forgot what was actually going on in the scene. Because, <laughs> like, um, there was a film that we watched not too long ago that James recommended called uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, Great movie. Uh, as a film that had a lot of, like, visual callbacks to older sci-fi properties, I started... Um, noticing that, like, the visual look of the film, especially with the coloring, it looked like the original Technicolor print of uh, Star Wars. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's interesting. It almost looks like they're trying to go for a similar thing. Like, people have really saturated skin tones, but they don't look, like, entirely sunburned. You have a couple Mm -hmm. areas of shadows where it's, like, green or teal and, like, blues especially Mm -hmm. pop and all that. And, um... It was funny because, uh, kind of like what I was saying, certain scenes I had to go back to later and rewatch it because I just was not paying attention to the conversation in the story. <laughs> I like to. I at this point, I've I've stopped trying to watch content that's very story intensive mm-hmm. because I know I'm going to get lost watching it. I so I just you. I just watch movies that are very visual. Right. It's funny you say that. I I feel like I've shifted the other way since we've started this podcast especially. I've almost doubled down more on like writing and script work and stuff cuz stuff like I wouldn't have noticed otherwise if I weren't having to talk about it later. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's two sides to that coin. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm kind of glad, though, that uh, the whole color thing especially kind of, you know, lately has been toned back because um, kind of like James, I, I very much do uh, like a good script and good direction, mm-hmm. which I know we'll be going into the nitty gritty of later on, but those are the two things I actually really like about the Alamo. Look, I mean, when you get too lost in the sauce, you forget about the meal, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, that's real good. <laughs> so, I, 
so as a normie who's not familiar at all with like animation or anything of the sort, you mentioned keynotes and or keystrokes. I can't remember exactly key all the time. Uh, key key ring? Key yeah, so what, is it, what exactly key does that mean? Key, key, key rings, jingle jingle. Uh, yeah, keyframe. How exactly does that work? Putting so, it in like a layman's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keyframes are essentially, you know, let, let's say you want to have a guy walk across the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just tell him to walk across the room and you take multiple pictures of him. And okay. each of those pictures is a different pose. And each one of those pictures is a keyframe. And oh, in 2D okay. animation, you can just put those pictures together in sequence and you'll get the illusion of movement mm-hmm. animation. Kind of like but a flipbook or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But with 3D animation, uh, it's slightly easier because you can actually, if you wind up with 100 pictures of that guy walking across the room, you can remove 50 of them and the, mm-hmm. ca- and the computer will be able to interpolate between each picture for you. So you don't actually really? have to yeah. have that many keyframes between poses. Now, what kind of what kind of a rig do you need to power something like that? Is it pretty intensive, I assume? Uh, it de- it really depends. I'm the kind of yeah. person who uh, who likes to have something that basically looks like a stop motion armature, just mm-hmm. a skeleton that okay. you can see through the body. Mm-hmm. But I have friends. And assuming they watch this, they know exactly who they are. Uh, hmm. Like to do the full-on scary professional rig with all the rings and controls and things that you can turn <laughs> on and off. And, and yikes! I just I didn't I didn't start animating in a program that had that much functionality with their rigs. So I got very used to a very simple rig. Okay. Okay. So if you're teaching someone how to like the very basics of starting with animation i mean where do you where do you where do you start uh with the hmm. program and its interface i guess because, that makes sense i mean that that's kind yeah. of like the bread and the butter yeah because if you if you want to animate and you open up a 3d program like blender or maya or something like that you could probably figure out the animation part of it but not if you can't figure out how to get anywhere Key, you know, uh, uh, shortcuts, keyboard shortcuts, uh, just knowing which doc does what. Uh, every single person I recommend who wants to get into animation, I recommend you figure out the program first. Because okay. you're really gonna need to do that to get any kind of fast at what you're doing. And some people are really resistant to that. To the idea of watching a seven-part tutorial series or reading through an article about or documentation about the program, and they they insist on just being like, "I'm just gonna figure it out." Just yeah, I just want to make the dude punch the other dude. Yeah, I'm just gonna uh, bash some rocks together, and then in three hours I'll get mad because I don't know how to use the program, and I'll wonder why did some why did someone tell me to watch <laughs> the tutorials? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Every time. Yeah, step one of the animation bible, know your program. Oh, it is yeah. the it is the brush you're going to paint with. Exactly. Me, every time I open OBS. Not even mm. that. I would say that the learning the program is like learning how to use your hand before you paint. <laughs> okay, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I was going to compare it to learning a language, but that's almost better. No, mm. actually, it's learning a language is probably easier. Yeah. Shit. 
I'm fucked then. (laughs) (laughs) You just Uh, need a good teacher. If if you're getting into Blender, I recommend the Blender Guru. He's the best tutorials in the world. And if you're getting into SFM, I recommend Cake Station. Yeah, well, no. (laughs) I'll tell tell you who I recommend for Source Filmmaker stuff. A YouTube channel called Jimmer Lins. J-I-M-E-R-L-I-N-S. Jimmerlins. Aside from Valve's official Source Filmmaker tutorials, which you should watch before anything else, Mm -hmm. Jimmerlins will fill in everything else you need. Oh, okay. All right. Got the cake seal of approval on that one, huh? Yeah, that's the good shit right there. I mean... That cake do not lie. Baked (laughs) to perfection. All right. Well, cake... On on the topic of uh, your content and stuff like that, obviously you have quite the uh, portfolio on your channel, but I have to wonder, uh, what do you uh, plan on doing in the near future in terms of, uh, you know, some new avenues or something like that? A lot. Awesome. Uh, Tell us all of it. (laughs) I think three new channels, for one. Really? Ooh, okay. Um, I'm working... I'll go ahead and go through the projects first. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the projects I have going, I I don't know if you guys saw the Laser series. So I've got Laser and Laser 2 on my yeah. channel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, those poor ODST never stood a chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those, I want to do Laser 3 in Blender. Oh, but I'm not okay, doing Laser okay. 3 next. I'm doing Laser 0 first, which is the prequel to Laser. The origin Interesting. story. Interesting. Okay. I'll be I'll be doing that in Source Filmmaker to sort of make time for me to get all the assets and stuff set up so that I can do Laser three in Blender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got two episodes of Laser in the in the can, and uh, you. I have a collaborative project coming up for the first month of 2022 coming up, which mm-hmm. is uh, it's going to be insane. It's it'll be entertaining. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ruby related. Ooh. Uh, okay, naturally. Yeah, but uh, other than that, I have my two new channels that are specific to Cake Station. Uh, one of them will be called Cake VA, which is where I'll be putting uh, songs, original and covers, as well as trying to voice act in more projects that aren't mine. Okay. Hey, practice makes perfect, my man. I actually have seen some of the covers, most notably the uh, Jack's Lament, which I'm a big fan uh, of. Oh, yeah. Excellent choice of uh, cover. That's just mm-hmm. just about mm-hmm. the only time that I can ever sound like a uh, an adult male <laughs> hey, <you laughs> is when what? I sing operatically. <laughs> We're not all born out of the womb just knowing it. It's a, some, you know, we just, people need practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, practice makes perfect, and eventually, if you keep applying to yourself, you'll get there. And uh, the other thing is a live-action channel, uh, where uh, okay. I'll be doing World War One, World War Two short films, uh, uh, practical filmmaking tutorials, like mm. practical effects stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that was actually something I'm looking forward to the most, because uh, you've had a few videos in the past where you kind of emphasize the importance of uh, practical effects and like show some of the techniques that were done back in the day and mm-hmm. uh 
it's it's an art form that for some reason uh, just is consistently overlooked and thought of as uh, obsolete oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, to all those people that say that, uh, I, I I think you can uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Ian, Ian's a big uh, directing nerd, so he's got quite a lot yeah, to go on for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's really, it's not even the people. The people want miniatures and practical effects back. It's yeah. the studios who are completely convinced that it will look bad and won't let people do it. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you still get some good stuff, though. I, I think a lot of uh, the Mad Max movie was fact practical. Well, you have to think about it, is that somebody as big as that director, mm -hmm. he can do whatever he wants. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You have to be in that position to be able to convince anyone that miniatures will look good. Yeah, and then they see that as, like, your gimmick. Yeah, yeah. Because they figure, hey, people like you, and if that's you, then they'll the people will like that. But there's no in-between for that. It's like the lower-class animator, or the lower-class filmmaker, he can do miniatures because he's not working under a studio. He's working independently. And then you have the way high-end, and you have Mad Max, and you can do miniatures for Mad Max. It'll look great. Yeah! Uh, but everybody in-between for TV productions... For, you know, mid-range independent movies or high-range independent movies, you just can't do it. Even, uh, have you guys, uh, seen the content on Corridor Crew? Yes, I have, actually. Yeah. So recently, Seth Rogen was a guest oh. on Corridor Crew, and he was talking about... So, Seth Rogen can't make a movie with miniatures because they keep telling him that it'll look bad. So you can't even be Seth Rogen level and convince <laughs> studios that miniatures are a good idea. And that says something. Definitely. Then you got mad lads like Phil Tippett, who's coming out with that movie <laughs> Mad God sometimes. Oh, yeah. Soon. Phil Tippett's my, my hero. He <laughs> looks insane. <laughs> it, it's a shame, too, because like, CG animation will only ever age. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when, like, directing and like you have to direct actors look at this thing i know you don't see anything but you got to work with it mm -hmm. there will come a day where uh avatar the movie that is still uh you know praised for being one of the most groundbreaking um you know visual effects heavy movies yeah it's gonna look like a ps2 game uh, one day yep mm-hmm and I mean, hey, uh, as a little bit of a callback to uh, what we were talking about with uh, 2003 Clone Wars, uh, Revenge of the Sith, one of the things that people said about that was, ah, well, I mean, at least the CG looks way better. Man, that CG looks like C-tier uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe CG now. <laughs> Big yeah, hits. Yeah, you're, you're Granted, right. Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, those look like PS2 games now. Possibly in areas N64. <laughs> I would say in areas, yes. But there's mm -hmm. nothing... I, I stand by that the pod race is the most photorealistic sequence in I its entirety agree. that I've ever seen in a movie. I so naturally, agree. you recreated it with uh, N64. Right? Yes! <laughs> so naturally, I took it and I made it the least realistic it could possibly be. <laughs> yes! Okay! 
I love that video. <laughs> I love it. And I love how your description for the video was, yeah, basically think of this as a really high production value meme. <laughs> and it is! <laughs> mm -hmm. Very good. Oh, this and then is you have the comparison racing. thing, and it just only further shows like just how much time you spent on it. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember how long I took on it. I think I took about two months straight working on that. Wow. <laughs> well, I'd say it was worth it. Mm -hmm. I wish it had gotten more of attention, but... Well, right. <laughs> now we're talking about it. That's true. Yeah, but I mean, uh, very ambitious stuff that you've been uh, achieving, but also planning on uh, pursuing and all that. And oh, it's a lot. Oh it, yeah, I didn't even mention lot. the third, <laughs> the third channel. The third oh, right. channel? What was the third channel? So the third channel actually leads into the next topic. <laughs> really? Ooh, ooh, okay, okay. Perfect. What is it? So let's hear it. Uh, I have joined my local reenactment unit for oh, okay. the Mexican army of during the Texas revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, which I have to say, okay, first off the, the unit is called premier battalion. Mm -hmm. uh, but you. even, even the guy who made it, he calls it a premier battalion. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is that what it <laughs> translates to? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, it, it's, it's not very popular. So you have the Texas Revolution, which is not that popular. And you have the Alamo, which people know the name of but don't really know what happened. And then you mm -hmm. have the Texian side, the Texas Revolution part of it. Everybody loves David Crockett, Jibui, Travis. Mm -hmm. uh, and by that point, you've lost everyone. As, mm -hmm. and th then you start talking about the Mexican army and everyone's already gone. Mm. Yeah, they only know so, Santana. Yeah, this this reenactment unit has about ten members in it. Okay, right. better than nothing. Uh, ten members with uniforms, and then most of them only show up for big events. And I'm I'm one of four who are reliably there. So you were granted a uniform then? I had to pay for my own uniform. Oh. Oh, oh no. <laughs> That's American as hell. It wasn't cheap, but it's fine. Oh. I have I've been borrowing one. It mine is still being made. But okay. that's the channel. It's the channel for Premier Battalion okay. in hopes of bringing to light uh anything, any information at all about the Mexican army during the Texas Revolution cuz no one talks about it. Nobody yeah. talks about it. Hey, new perspectives are always cool. Indeed. But that just means that I'm doing like 70 different things in 2022. That's a lot of work. Hey, you know what? Hey, it keeps you busy. You're yes. productive at least. Which is more to say about the lot of the country. Yeah, I never ever want to have the moment where I sit down and I go, I don't have anything to do. Right. Well, you're doing a damn good job of preventing that. <laughs> I have a very similar mindset about it, really, yeah. I, I always find something to do on the side, and uh, I guess sort of branching out uh, and trying different like departments of film-oriented stuff, whether that be color grading or sound mixing, especially sound mixing. I love doing that. I'm a lazy POS who will be watching it all as it unfolds. But, hey, well, you know. we have to have the people who watch... 
Yeah, we no, have you're to have providing, an audience. You're mm-hmm. providing your thing by racking up the views. I'm yeah, doing my part as I sit on my couch and eat Cheetos. You're <laughs> the reason I do it, man. That's oh, thanks. why. Hell I got you, yeah. bro. I got nothing to do until school starts. <laughs> now that you, now that you said about that, you're part of this reenacting group trying to you know, sp- you know, spread light upon the less talked about Mexican portion of the fight over the Alamo and the Texas Revolution. We might as well talk about the movie now because now I'm incredibly curious to hear your take on it. Yes, okay. the 2004 released Alamo film. Yes, so this movie was one of the biggest productions ever in America and produced the largest set ever built for a film and brought... It was so big that it it kick-started Patrick Wilson's career as an actor. Oh, wow. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton was in it, and Billy Mm -hmm. Bob Thornton's an amazing actor, and uh, it even brought uh, Jason Patrick who was typically like a smaller production, artsy kind of actor, into the mainstream. Well, when you throw $137 million around. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money. Mm. So that's that. this is all leading up to the fact that it was a box office bomb. Mm-hmm. Why was that? Was it a bad movie? Was it a, a, a foul production? Did something get cut out of it that made it less good? Unfortunately, no. Uh, That would have been fair to the Alamo. What happened was that it came out too close to the release of Passion of the Christ, and everybody loves Jesus. Oh. (laughs) And Mel Gibson. (laughs) And Mel Gibson. (laughs) At least at the time they did. Yeah, so uh, if if you ever need a go-to example of timing... And how bad you can time something, the release of something, and how badly it can affect a film, that is the best example. Oh, yeah. I mean, it reminds me how uh, one of my favorite, or recent favorite films, The Rocketeer, um, it came out two weeks before another small, independent, moderately successful uh, film called um, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. (laughs) Hey, hey! Don't forget one of my favorite home, one of my favorite movies of all time. The thing came out right next to E motherfucking T. The extraterrestrial. <laughs> yeah, no, timing That's is very true. important. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. But otherwise, uh, it really is a great movie for the. Okay, so this is my personal opinion coming out about the 2004 film. Mm-hmm. Go right ahead. It is the perfect historical drama full Ooh, stop okay. okay because it gets almost everything right really? historically okay. okay the mexican army is portrayed in it the most accurately with their uniforms their tactics they actually discovered and printed the original mexican drill manual from the period got Whoa, several shit. historical advisors on it and actually, my friend who started the reenactment unit was a weapons trainer on that film and huh, trained really? the soldados to march. Oh, damn. And on top of it, obviously, they rebuilt San Antonio to scale damn. in a valley in it was Texas. To scale? 
They filmed it, it yeah, it was to scale. My god. So wow. you can you can watch said. you can watch scenes from the two thousand four film. Go to San Antonio for real and stand in the places you're looking at. That's, shit. That's pretty fucking neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's insane. I can see where the budget went then. That yeah, is basically. Wild. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of them, a lot of the buildings are facades, but you know, well, there's still a lot of material that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the the outfits of the characters, not just the Mexican army, the actual events that transpire and end the the uh, they appear in chronological order. And even just the tiniest little details, like the fact that Santa Ana is guarded by grenadiers in some scenes. Uh, But the very best part about the film is the battle sequence, which is, it it plays out perfectly, because it's absolutely 100% according to first-hand accounts of the battle. Wow. So not only does it, continue as it did and happen the way it did the order of battle is exactly the same you can actually watch the appropriate battalions mentioned in the first hand accounts do exactly what they did in real life damn and that is a level of detail i don't think anybody ever considers for a historical Mm. film you're just like ah whatever what battalion was there them okay that's it. Just have them run that way. Half Whatever. The time, war films don't even have like actors as an appropriate age. Exactly. <laughs> so like they, this is they, a whole level. They they filmed it in Texas, so they had the appropriate like uh, they filmed it in Dripping Springs, Austin. Okay. Uh, and so they actually, obviously, unlike. Uh, Unlike a couple of the other productions of the Alamo, specifically the John Wayne film that was just a bunch of white stuntmen and brownface. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> America, God bless. God bless <laughs> they, America, they actually, pilgrims. They, they actually cast uh, Hispanic people of the appropriate build and height mm-hmm. and, and trained them. And uh, the funny part is... Uh, there was a, a place called Boys Town, I believe, and they hired a bunch of... They, so they had, like, a delinquent center there mm-hmm. and to get them, like, into society and doing things. They signed them up to be extras for the film. And in real life, Santa Ana had also drafted a bunch of delinquents into their own battalion. Mm. So there was a, a nice little parallel there. <laughs> oh, that is... That's insane. Yeah, I I think, uh, if I may move us into each of our general thoughts of the film, uh, mine is that I thoroughly enjoyed my time with this movie, uh, on many different levels, and, uh, hearing what you had to share about not just accuracy, but also just production design, a lot of love went into that department, (laughs) and I was seeing that all over the place. Yeah, if you're an editor, this movie is like ice cream for your oh, face. Oh, yes! Yes, that was one of the big things, the editing. I thought it had a nice flow, and everything sat and had time to breathe before it cut away to something else. It never felt um, too spastic like a lot of films were at the time in uh, 2004. 
uh, a lot of that quick cut kind of stuff. If you rewatch the film, try to look at it as uh, the camera following the eyes of the characters. That's what I actually picked up on. I, I picked up on that. It, it usually follows the general uh, view of a lot of the uh, characters in question. And mm-hmm. I guess the other thing I just liked about this movie was that even though it's a film from 2004, it felt very, I guess, traditional. Not 2004. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. The, the cinematography in the movie is very traditional. Like, think... 1930s style yeah just set up set up in one spot and one camera angle counts for multiple like frames you know what i mean it's like like blocking out a scene in a theater play yeah I, i know this might sound like an insult but i was thinking the whole time i was watching it this this feels like a movie like my grandmother would have watched like in a theater <laughs> yeah <something>. yeah <laughs> i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in, like it, it's very you know very practical very like mm-hmm. they they really go all in on well, yeah. trying to get you in there you know well because I mean? not not only with the the like one camera setup per shot kind of thing uh or really per scene sometimes. Uh, yeah, the the practical nature of everything they they did after all build San Antonio. They could have done something in CGI. It was possible in two thousand four. No, I did like how it felt like an actual like reenactment. In oh, terms yeah. of in terms of uh, general thoughts of it as a movie, it is a little bit of a slow start, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, uh, that's a lot of people's complaint is that it's kind of slow. But yeah, the thing is, it, it almost kind of works in the fact that when the battle actually happens, you got that great dichotomy of oh hey, shit's getting real now. So mm-hmm. it makes it it makes the battle scenes more worth it. Um, what I really liked about the movie is the characters themselves and just the, the how real the situation felt. Like you have these 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 folk heroes, these legends. You know, I almost said David Bowie, but it's <laughs> James it's David G- Bowie. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I thought it was James Bowie. No, it is. It's James Bowie. Oh, I was about to say, I'm like, oh my god, did I yeah, flip I it you're, again? You're, you're doing the fusion dance with James <laughs> Bowie and David Crockett. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, David Crockett, all those legends, and I feel like they did in such a human, realistic way that I felt like they, you know, those were probably how they actually were, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah, it's a very realistic take on it, which is another reason why people didn't like it a lot, mm-hmm. is because it tampers with the beautiful and glorious legend of the Alamo too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean... My main problem was the ending. I think they should have switched. I, I think they should have won. I think they should have been a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> they just switched it. Just completely rewrite history and have it. No, no, they all just got boo boos and they lived. <laughs> and then they their mommies kissed their their little stab wounds and they got up and then they lived for a thousand more no. years. And then I, Sam I, Houston I did, I, showed up and he turned into the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, no, I I did really like that factor of it. It it really just was brutal, down to the ground, as realistic as they could be right. for a PG thirteen film. For a PG thirteen film, and I thought I think it really hit home in that department. And oh, in yeah. terms of negatives, like I said, it's just really how kind of slow it is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I th- I think it was a a pretty darn good film, but 
it is it is for a specific crowd and i think that's really why it suffered in like the in the big overall like global yeah. market why it suffered it's it, you know it's 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 the motherfucking alamo like people in china mm-hmm. and europe ain't really gonna care yeah that's true mm-hmm. but they but they're stupid so what, what, do, what do they know you don't even have to go a single state upwards before people don't even know what the alamo is anymore <laughs> fucking oh, right. that's sad that's kind of sad uh, I don't know which more I can add, but, like, I don't know much about the historical piece, but I will say this. Watching this movie did make me want to look up and, like, research a little more on that time period, because I knew almost nothing beyond the name, the Alamo, before yeah, James, coming into James this movie. Bowie's freaking insane. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. Literally, he's just, he's, he's a legend. He's a legend for a reason. He did some really crazy stuff. You know, when you survive getting shot a couple times, stabbed through the hip, and crazy shit like that, and then you manage to kill someone with your knife? Yeah. Yep, and that wasn't even the last thing that happened to him. He killed that guy, and then he got stabbed, like, three more times. Mm-hmm. Absolute fucking unit. But, <laughs> you know, after watching your channel, I, I, I noticed upon a video where you said, you know, uh, war movies suck, I believe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you, and I gotta ask you, do you believe, compared to the 60s version of the Alamo, do you think a European movie uh, film director could have done it better? I believe so. Just because it it takes an outsider's perspective to portray a story without bias. If mm. you hire somebody from Texas, they might be more inclined to make David Crockett a little bit more heroic than he really was. Or to mm. embellish the battle a little bit more. Inflate James... the numbers of the Mexican dead a little bit, like they yeah. did in John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just fucking <laughs> James Bowie going down, do, do akimboing knives and just killing half the Mexican army <laughs> yeah. before dying and flanking the angels to heaven. Well, I mean, that's almost not as ridiculous as it happens in the John Wayne film. If you've seen it, he has like an eight-barrel blunderbuss. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, I remember reading a little synopsis, and the Mexicans have like a super cannon or some shit like that. Yep, they have what? like oh a 30-pound cannon. Oh my gosh, yeah. what? It's like Hell our yeah. actual serious artillery. It's like, they could be on the other side of the world, they can still shoot at us. <laughs> uh, bring in the howlitzers. <laughs> <laughs> Tactical nuke incoming. <laughs> Those damn communists, I mean Mexicans, are bringing in the nukes. Hey, you oh can't no! say that. They have lightsabers! <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know what? Say what you will, that would be pretty badass. Yeah, that would make a good movie. Oof. General Bowie. There's only one thing that I want to say completely independent of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Please do. Texas was Mexico. The Mexican yeah. army was not invading America. They were a trying to take back their damn that. home. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted to take their land back. Look, you think you give Americans a little bit of what they consider freedom, and they will they will literally take miles. Yep. Uh-huh. God bless America, manifest uh, is, destiny. Isn't, isn't it ironic that uh, the 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 that Texas really loves the story of illegal immigrants fighting the government? And they are the they literally took it. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking annexed that shit. <laughs> Funny how that works out. Well, uh, so, moving along with uh, general thoughts, uh, Scott, what did you think of the Alamo? Hmm. Did you think of it's, it at all? It's a little <laughs> tough. 
It's a little tough to put into words because I liked some aspects of it, but a lot of okay. it I couldn't really follow. Okay. okay. Uh, how so? Like, like a little confusing in terms of like the flow of events or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was a little jarring. The very beginning is like, oh, the Alamo fell. I'm like, wait. What, where's the rest of the movie, though? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, that that's fair. Because you can literally just blink and miss the opening title that says uh, one year earlier. And then right, the whole yeah. movie is just confusing. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's what I missed. Um, some of the characters' introductions uh, all blended together really, like, in a blur. I couldn't really tell the differences between certain characters in the very beginning. It's only when they were actually... In light that I could tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I liked the battle, especially the scene with the cannon getting shot out and like flying through the air. The camera just goes through the air and like, oh yeah, it shows that the cannon cool. like in front of it hitting good. the ground. Right. I like that part. That was really cool. Um, honestly, Dennis Quaid is my favorite because he is my favorite <laughs> actor in the movie. I love Sam. <laughs> I think- I think Billy Bob Thornton fucking rocked it as Davy Crockett. Yeah, he did too. Just his whole arc and everything. His character was just down to the earth and just solid the entire film. Honestly, the big four, I thought they they all rocked it. I didn't understand uh, Patrick Wilson's uh, family situation. Oh, yeah, that's a li- it's a little complicated. Okay. There, there's a lot you might miss without proper historical context. Right. It, yeah, you need to lead, like have a pamphlet that you read before you watch <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> oh no, it's like that giant uh, Tolkien lore uh, journal or whatever that thing is. The, the hey, Cimmerillion don't knock the Cimmerillion. Don't knock the Cimmerillion. I will knock the Cimmerillion. No, there is some dumb shit dare. in that book. Okay, that aside, though... Are we going to ignore the fact you called U.S. history lore? <laughs> yeah. Okay, look. look. I mean, it's right, but you can't say that. <laughs> hey, what class you got coming up? Uh, American lore. American uh, lore about the uh, about the epic fight at the Alamo. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, David Oh, Crockett. the epic PvP at the Alamo. Yeah, the, 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 the greatest PvP battle. What was his power level, man? Now that was one hell of a battle royale, let me tell you. <laughs> Holy shit, Davy Crockett, he, he brought the eagles. <laughs> no. Anyway. Uh, no, I mean... Yeah, no, it, it was it was good, but in terms of like recommending it, I, I, I would recommend it to everyone, but especially people who want to know more and who are really into that stuff, because it really does do its damnedest. It does... It, it really gives back. If you watch this film and you decide to do research afterwards, you'll be delightfully surprised at how many things it got right. You can oh, be yeah. like, oh, oh well, yeah. did that really happen? And you look it up and you open the book and it says, oh, yeah, there it is. It happened. This is a movie you come to appreciate with more knowledge of history. Yeah. Like, every little detail just adds so much more once you dig deeper in. You know, I... Here's the big thing, and I think this is where I kind of go against the grain. I actually think that, yes, uh, I would recommend this movie. But I think, in my personal view, this movie, at least to me anyway, can be enjoyed on multiple levels beyond just film buff stuff. 
I mean, uh, well, film buff stuff, yes, but also history buff stuff. Because, frankly, mm-hmm. I, I had only seen this film once before, and that was in a history class. What a coinky dink. <laughs> I would be worried if I watched it in a chemistry class instead. <laughs> yeah, no, you gotta eat American lore. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> the deep lore to, to you know combat the uh the cimmerillion when are we gonna get the cimmerillion equivalent for for u.s history? oh wait that's right history books good ones <laughs> that's where you get it from anyway you were saying earlier um but... what i was saying was as a little bit of a disagreement to some of the stuff that scott was talking about with some of the characters and how maybe some of them kind of like chimed in just a bit I don't know. I have to disagree. I actually thought the character work and just the writing and my absolute favorite fucking thing about this movie, the direction. I loved it. I thought it was solid and it surprised me because I could tell that the production design was where most of the budget went to. And usually when you see those kinds of films... Uh, you're like, okay, cool, the production design's fantastic, but the problem is, is that, well, everything else about it, like the story and the character work and writing and whatnot, it's, it's kind of lackluster, or in some cases, bad. But mm. this is kind of a triple threat in where the historical accuracy, the production design, the cinematography, the color grading, as well as the writing and direction... I was just all about, and I was drawn in. And here's the thing, I know very little about the Alamo, you know? I I understand the general, you know, history behind it, but in terms of the nitty-gritty and, like, the beginning to the end, in terms of that span of time, I'm not all that um, informed on, you know? And as a film, just presenting the story of these people that stuck to the Alamo through thick and thin, through all that mm. punishment, uh, it was a very inspiring story to witness. And I actually thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. And yes, I could definitely agree that in areas it was a little slow, and even though it was only just over two hours, I still remember pausing it to go get a drink or something like that. <laughs> and I get back, I'm like, wait, we're only that far in? <laughs> what (laughs) there is there is a moment in the movie where it stops skipping time and it's just the 13 days in their entirety yeah and i think it's at that point where maybe some trimming or some condensing could have been done but at the same time i don't know because in some of those little bits you also miss some uh some character stuff with which you know I enjoyed, and it really is just the dynamic between the uh, the big four, as I refer to them, and how they just persevere through a lot of the stuff, and how they bounce off of each other. You know, in in some cases, uh, butt heads, uh, but also just how they kind of come together in the end and try to stick to their mission, and that is to defend the Alamo. So I. I guess I can agree where most people say that this is very much a uh, film and or history buff uh, sort of movie, but I don't know. I think there's going to be a few people who aren't 
uh, film and or history nerds that can find something of enjoyment in this because uh, oh, yeah. there's just a lot of heart in so many different departments. And kind of like what I was talking about earlier, I like how traditionally shot and just produced this film is. And it gets bonus points from me because there's two elements when it comes to the cinematography that I like. A... It was entirely shot with anamorphic lenses, and that is a department of cinematography that I have fallen in love with within the last... Um, and on uh, film, year. I believe. And on film! And that's the other thing. That's the other thing. Uh, this is going to sound really specific, but I love the film stock that they used. It is my second favorite film stock in existence, which is the Kodak Vision 200T film stock, which was... Uh, the same stock that a lot of films like Gladiator, The Matrix, and Lord of the Rings mm. were shot on. And when you see films that were shot on that, uh, you really do start to see just the distinct characteristics uh, in a lot of the footage. And uh, I, I love it. It's great. So that's my nerd moment. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... I mean, I don't know really what more there is to say. Well, I... I, I was I was just gonna say, uh, I have shown this film to several of my very much non uh, historian friends, mm -hmm. and yeah, basically what you said, I recommend it to everybody because the, there's a lot that you could be interested in with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Outside of the film buff history buff realm, because. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, when I when I first started this, I didn't really know a lot about the history. I'll, 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 I'm not afraid to admit it. I know so little about history, I didn't realize Davy Crockett wasn't just a made-up folk hero. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really thought he was like just a Paul Bunyan, like Johnny Appleseed, Queen of England type, and I just... <laughs> I did not realize this was a real man that existed. Yeah. Um... I uh, but no watching this film I uh, it like it inspired me to look up more about the history. Um apparently especially with Davy Crockett there's a bit of confusion as the details of his actual death and I believe this movie took from uh like a first-hand account. Yep. So this is this although fun fact uh from my friend Martin who worked on the film he said uh since the execution of Crockett is the most likely but the most controversial uh, depiction of his death, they filmed mm -hmm. two different versions of his death. Oh. One where he goes down in battle, and one where he's executed. I suppose that makes sense. I mean, he's been looked at as, like, a, a legendary hero, so you'd want that big, like, hero moment. But, you know, like you said, history doesn't always give you that. Right, right. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the fact that uh, you had thought all this time he was a uh, folk hero because um, the film almost uh, plays up that whole depiction of him where uh, one of my favorite parts of the character work is with uh, Davy because... Um, what, what, what they establish is that uh, with all the different stories revolving around him, 
it's built up this public expectation of him and how oh, it's yeah. all kind of like weighing on him because everybody expects him to be like this heroic uh, do-gooder that is capable of anything, but really he's just a dude. And frankly, being just a dude, he's more content with. If I remember you know. correctly, like one of the first scenes in this movie is him essentially watching a play about himself. Or like, he goes <laughs> yeah. down and someone's like, oh, I saw you on, on stage. Here, can you say the line? And like, he's just got to like deal with that reputation. That's actually, uh, speaking of production design, you can see that uh, reflected in his, his outfit. At some point, he stops wearing the coonskin cap and the, the buckskin clothing. Yeah. And he starts wearing a normal jacket like everyone else. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. So yeah, I would recommend uh, people give it a watch because again, it, it inspired me to want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And what more could you ask for, Scott? How about you, buddy? Would you recommend it? I would recommend it for that battle at the end. <laughs> that you know, you know, it, it's an interesting case where historical accuracy is achieved, but it also is just a really well choreographed and intense scene that makes for a good, just movie battle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It ain't no Helm's Deep, but hey, it's still pretty solid. Uh, I don't think anything can top that. <laughs> Man. I- I think Helm's Deep is a little overrated. I think if the battle took place during the day, it would it would contend closer. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's a good mm-hmm. thought. Also, I would love to see this Urukai deal with musket fire and cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh... But uh, the, I thought it was cool they actually used the nighttime setting, or the early morning setting, to their mm-hmm. benefit, because it's a PG-13 movie, and they used grape shot on the Mexican soldiers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you can, in, at night, you can use grape shot on people and not see anything. Mm-hmm. You won't see it rip through them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God. Watching that scene, it reminded me of this, like, really, really niche, uh, I think it was a, a Xbox 360 game uh, from the early 2010s. I think it was either Darkest Hour or Darkest of Days, where the whole premise is that you are a time-traveling soldier hired by some corporation in the future to go back in time to specific historical battles and rewrite history. And the way that you rewrite it is these people, they, they, they have you come on and they say, okay, so check it out. Here's the Battle of Gettysburg, right? You're going to be going there. Except, um, you have an AK-47. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. The Alamo oh, would have been Lord. very different. Uh, yeah, I just like to imagine, what would that turn out like? So, so we're going back to the Mexican super cannon, then. <laughs> yeah, shit. I mean, basically, you wouldn't even have to be on the battlefield. No. Yeah, shit, at that point. <laughs> you, could, you could set up in a tree, like, a mile away. Yeah, honestly. camp spawning. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Camping the uh, enemy spawn points. <laughs> no, very good film. Highly recommended. Very insightful. Many Indeed. moments. Many moments. Insightful Indeed. moments. And I'm very glad we got to share this moment with our guest today, Mr. Yay. Cake. Yeah, yeah, honestly, Cake, uh, it was an honor to have you on here. Hey, thanks. Uh, also, thank goodness y'all knew I was a dude. 
Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I made sure. I made sure to just double check. <laughs> Admittedly. <laughs> I mean, listen. Not. Yeah. Listen, it happens all the time. And I, I appreciate you giving me another platform by which to say I'm a guy. Hi. Of course. The, the real meaning for you coming on is to clear the air. I'm not. <laughs> oh, no. I literally had to change my Twitter profile just to say, hey, I'm a dude. <laughs> oh, man. The SFM stands for sup, motherfuckers. I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> like three Q&As and like every time that was mentioned like twice or something. Yeah. yeah, you just gotta put I'm... down your pronouns as fuck around and find out. That's all. <laughs> so, that's, that's I gotta put down. Yeah. Skate on the thin ice, see what happens. Mm, keep it ambiguous. That way, they're awkward. You're not. Fuck them. <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks for coming on, man. Thank yeah, you for seriously. gracing us with your thousands of presences. That was no lame. Problem. Thank you for gracing us with your presence, <laughs> Mr. And Mandu. much like your name. Your body of work is a treat. Hey. That should be my tagline. There you go. Go for it, yeah! I mean, I think it, it snaps, and I'm not just saying that because it's mine. It, it's got layers, like a marble cake. Or an onion, but... Well, like, you, <laughs> That's you, a topic you, you for another time. You start talking onions, and then suddenly, like, you know, you start getting flashbacks to Shrek is love, Shrek is life, and I think that's a, a area that needs to be just shut out. It's got layers, man. Just like in SFM animation... It's got layers. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy onion, because learning this, yeah, because learning, trying to animate without learning the program is going to make you cry like an onion. <laughs> yes, and make you hate yourself. I, I think you figured out why we have Sam on here. <laughs> Everybody has their roles. Sam, he does that. I say, th I say the things that no one else will say. <laughs> no one else has the courage to say. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? Um, you do it rather well, Sam. Yeah, and this has been our inciting moment. And remember, Indeed. remember the Alamo. But of course, of a, a the Alamo lasted thirteen days. Fight lasted thirteen minutes. <laughs> 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 okay, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. Adios. Bye.